Hi, everyone. This is Lindsay, one of the hosts of Yield Crime. Just wanted to give you a heads up that since you were listening to an earlier episode of Yield Crime, you may notice that the audio quality isn't the best. It does get better, I promise. If you are willing to stick with it, great. If you'd rather start with better quality audio, I would suggest skipping ahead to episode 19 when we purchased newer, better audio equipment. And on that note, thank you for listening and on with the show. Hey guys, this is Julia from Always Time for True Crime. Every week, I get into a new case about murder, missing persons, and serial killers. My podcast is all about the lesser known cases. So, if you're looking for something beyond Ted Bundy or John Benet Ramsey, head on over to Always Time for True Crime for some new true crime stories. You can listen to Always Time for True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, and more. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Single. Hello. Hi. Hi. How, How goes? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's actually a really nice day out. I know. I was going to bring that up at some point. It is mm-hmm. gorgeous outside. I actually am wearing a tank top and shorts. Midwestern sm- small talk. Oh, it's so nice. Oh, it's so nice. It's gorgeous out. Leaves aren't turning quite yet. Uh, you see some reds, maybe some oranges, but now that's really fallen, you know. No, I haven't had to unpack the slacks yet. <laughs> I was thinking as I was outside today, I was like, man, next time that it's like chilly again and we get to like see each other, I'm so excited to go to like Starbucks with you mm-hmm. and get a soy pumpkin spice latte. Can I turn you on to something? Yes. Um, Erica was doing pumpkin cream cold brews. Mm -hmm. And before that, she was doing dirty chais, iced dirty chais. Oh, yeah. I like those too. I thought of um, people are probably do this drink all the time. But um, the other day I got her an iced dirty chai with pumpkin cold foam on top. Hmm. It is so good. Like, it's just the right amount of pumpkin, but it's mostly just spiced. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so awesome. I have the perfect ensemble planned for when we go to get pumpkin spice lattes. I can wear my leggings and my imitation Ugg boots and (laughs) an oversized sweater. And even though my hair is a little short, I could do like a half messy bun thing. Yeah, you could do like the half up. I can't, I can't style my hair at all. I can't either, but I could mess it up and pretend. All right. So what kind of creepy story are we talking about today? Today, we are deep diving into <gasps> body snatching. Oh, shit. Yes. Oh. Yep. I am... Terrified and intrigued <laughs> at the same time. It's, it's going to be a wild ride, that's for sure. Yeah. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2017 Atlas Obscura article by Molly McBridge Jacobson. A 2017 Atlas Obscura article by Lucy Tiffin. A 2014 Mental Floss article by Miss Selenia. A 2014 Smithsonian Magazine article by Bess Lovejoy. And then another article at Atlas Obscura, PBS website, and Wikipedia. And I want to clarify, because this is a big stickler for some people. Okay. When I use Wikipedia, I don't use it as an actual source. You use it to look at, look up other resources? Yeah. So it's something where if I'm like fact-checking certain things that I've read somewhere else, then I'll go to Wikipedia and find an article that is sourced in that material. Yeah, look at those reference links too. Yeah, that references so I can verify, yep, this date is correct. 
So I don't just use Wikipedia as like an actual source. Were people harping on you about that? No, it's just become a big thing because there are some podcasts out there that basically just read from Wikipedia and assume that all the information on the page is accurate. Oh, babies, no. When that's not the case, like, ever. So... No. no. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to clarify for people... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to all those podcasts that do that, but that's, yes. like, that's like getting a criminal account from, like, a six-year-old. Yeah. It's not going to be true. There's a lot of telephone involved. Yeah. In the- so that's why I try to have like four to five other sources prior, like outside of Wikipedia. So it's, so people know that I'm actually doing the research. I'm not just yeah. pulling up the Wikipedia listing for whatever it is I'm talking about and just reading off of the listing. That's usually one of the main, the main comments we get is how well researched you are. I try. I will go on record that if and when I have stories, they will probably not be as thorough. <laughs> But I won't do the just the Wikipedia, I promise. That's fair. I can pinky swear right now. No, that's out of the way. Oh, body snatching. I'm so scared. Let's do it. So links to all those articles will be in the show notes, as they usually are. So, yes, we're discussing the practice of body snatching, and we'll talk about its rise in popularity during the height of the study of anatomy and medicine. Oh, yep. And also its practices around the world. I forgot about that. So we're going to start in Europe on our world tour. Okay. So to many people, the act of burials and funerals are obviously an important practice. And many people in the 17th and 18th century specifically would save their money to ensure their loved ones had a decent burial. And as we mentioned in the fairy coffins episode, it was a common belief at that time that you could not rise during the second coming if your body wasn't whole, which is why the very idea of body snatching was such a terrifying thing for so many people. To the point where some would even put it on the same tier as cannibalism as far as how awful they viewed it. Dang. So before we get too deep into it, I'm going to give a brief explanation of what body snatching is for the like 1% of people that probably have no idea what that means. Okay. So body snatching was a term coined regarding the practice of secretly removing corpses, usually fresh ones, from graves for sale. These corpses were primarily sold to medical schools to use for demonstrative purposes during dissection and anatomy lessons. Yep. Which was necessary. You can't, you got to learn what you're digging around for. If you want to be a doctor or surgeon, can't just guess which one's the stomach. (laughs) And which is the spleen. Yeah. Yep. So the first known case of this practice took place in 1319 in Bologna, Italy and was committed by four medical students. Okay. Because several years prior, Professor Londinus had revived the study of anatomy in Bologna by conducting public dissections. Ooh, public dissections. Yeah, and usually these were of condemned criminals. But still, like, they didn't do that just for medical students? It was like anyone could come? Yep. And I feel like I should mention... That for a really long time, people were, especially in like the Victorian era and stuff, people were super into the macabre. Mm-hmm. So like in London, where they would pull people out of the River Thames and they would have them on like display in windows. Yeah. And they're like funeral masks. Yep. So people could come by and be like, oh, yeah, that's Joe or whatever. Um, so crazy. You know, in like dissection theaters and things like that for medical students, but they would still invite some randos, you know, so. So as I mentioned at the top, the 17th and 18th centuries saw the greatest surge in cases of body snatching due mainly to the reduction in executions, which was a traditional source of cadavers for medical study. Yeah. And medical schools also began to rise in popularity and foundation during this period of history, which increased the need for fresh cadavers for anatomy lessons. And since proper refrigeration methods weren't a thing, body storage for future study wasn't an option. Yeah. So it had to be like a one and done type of thing. Yep. Every semester. And to sweeten the deal, punishment for those convicted of body snatching was usually nothing more than a slap on the wrist, basically, such as a fine or a brief stint of imprisonment. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to do it again. Yep. 
because the fine probably wasn't it like they could use their body snatching money to pay for it <laughs> pretty much yeah. yeah so that being said medical practitioners and institutions tended to turn a blind eye to the practice mm-hmm. believing that the benefits of proper anatomical study far outweighed the true evil of the act of body snatching itself yeah and that's another thing of like faith versus science too i think we're like it'd be easier for them to say that this is a greater good than like preserving a body and ensuring it goes to heaven. Yeah. So due to the lack of viable cadavers by quote unquote honest means, the demand gave rise to resurrectionists or men who were paid to dig up and deliver bodies for dissection. And resurrectionists commonly worked in teams searching for and targeting fresh graves as it was easier to dig up the recently unsettled earth. Yeah, that makes sense. Resurrectionists would even send out spies to funerals to scout out where fresh bodies could be found. And this task was usually given to women who would be less suspicious at such events. And the reason this was such a common practice was because it was easy money, with fresh corpses fetching as much as 10 shillings apiece, which today would equate to a few months' salary. Wow, yeah. So especially if you were like on hard times, that would make sense. Or even in like... The winter and stuff when everything's probably more expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, the act of body snatching was done by digging a small hole near the head of the coffin. And then the body would be dragged out by a rope before it was filled back in so no one would know the coffin was in. Wow. So they just put like dirt or something in it? Yeah. And another spot that was easy to poach were the mass graves of the poor. Of course. Yeah. Why not? Last little... F you to four people. Yep. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah. As they were left uncovered until they were full of coffins. Wait. So they basically just put stacks of coffins in this hole until... Oh, okay. Until it was full and they covered it up. Wow. Gross. And because single graves were hard to get into and took lots of work, a tunnel would have to be dug, sometimes as deep as four feet down before the coffin itself will be broken into to bring the body to the surface. So they basically just did poor people. Yep. Cool. And sorry, side note, is this, will, will this bring on mausoleums or like more secure grave sites? Yes and no. In okay. some places, mausoleums were created and used due to um, the soil. Okay. Like in case in areas such as like New Orleans, where yep. everything floods, yep. they have to have them in mausoleums. It's mm-hmm. very rare that they're able to actually bury them in the ground because the chances of them rising back up because of the floodwaters is just so high. So yeah. that's, and in some areas of um, Europe, mausoleums were made more for um, wealthier families. Yeah. So you would. That's kind of what I was going to going for. Like it was another way for wealthy people to kind of protect their. And to show status. Like it's something where they would create one for an entire family and then the entire family would be put in this mausoleum. So a resurrectionist by the name of Joseph Naples in London kept handwritten records of the bodies he snatched between November 1811 and December of 1812. And this is a diary which can still be found at the Hunterian Museum in London. Kind of serial killery. Kind of. And in one entry, written January 13th in 1812, he details his haul over the course of the night, which is as follows. Quote, took two of the above to Mr. Brooks, and one large and one small to Mr. Bell. Fetus to Mr. Carpoo. Small to Mr. Frampton. Large small to Mr. Klein. Met at five. The party went to Newington. Two adults. Took them to St. Thomas's. End quote. So I'm assuming a small would be a child or maybe a woman. So the term large referred to an adult and small referred to a child. Yeah. It was almost code kind of. Yeah. I love how they didn't even try with fetus though. They're just like fetus. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I suppose it's different from a child, you know. Anatomists actually pay more money for children and women, particularly pregnant women, as that was like, yeah. Basically, um, the Holy Grail. 
I mean, to this day, you still can't really test or do anything for pregnant women. So yeah, it's still just as expensive and just as exclusive. Yeah. And Naples also noted that extremities were also in high demand. In popular places, resurrectionists sold their wares to include such institutions as St. Thomas and St. Bartholomew's Hospitals. They still exist today, but they were turned into museums. Okay. So you can go in and um, kind of see what the the surgical theaters looked like, Mm -hmm. things like that. And one of the most famous cases of body snatching, or really in this case, body production, was that of Burke and Hare, which we briefly mentioned in our episode on the mini coffins, and which we'll do a more in-depth dive into in a future episode. Are we going to dedicate a whole episode just to them? I think so. Yeah. I think, I think that'd be a good idea, especially since like they're so prolific, but a, a lot of people don't know about them. That, and I feel like it's important to talk about the 17 victims Yeah, that they basically sold to doctors for dissection. Mm-hmm. So further examples from other countries include cases such as one in Montreal, where in 1875, when the bodies of typhoid victims were stolen from a Canadian convent school before the relatives, the students' relatives could claim them. Oh, so just body snatching sick kids. Yep, just dead kids. Yep. Wow. And it makes you wonder, too, if it was like for research on typhoid or if it was just for their bodies in general. But you would think it'd be really dangerous to mess with a a very recently deceased, diseased body like that. Yeah. And in Tasmania, a truly terrifying case occurred with the exhumation of what was considered at that time, to be the last two Aboriginal Tasmanians, William Lane, or Lon, and Truganini, in 1869 and 1876, respectively. Wow. Yeah, it's, it gets worse. No. Well, of course it does, but like, oh God. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pronounce it Lane. So Lane's mm-hmm. head, hands, and feet were illegally removed by members of the Royal Society of Tasmania before he was buried and subsequently stolen again. Oh my gosh. And Truganini asked to be cremated to avoid a similar fate, but was buried anyway before being exhumed and put on display by the Royal Society of Tasmania. Gross. So it wasn't even like people, like, you know, like underground seedy people. It was the government. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Cool, 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 cool. Yep. Government's respecting indigenous people. It doesn't happen. (laughs) Surprise. Never. Great. And in the city of Kolkata, India, for over 200 years, it's been the center. Kolkata? Kolkata. K-O-L-K-A-T-A. Kolkata. Cool. So for over 200 years, it's been the center of a network of bone traders who would remove skeletons of the dead from graveyards to sell them to hospitals and universities abroad. And in the 1850s alone, Calcutta Medical College processed 900 skeletons a year with the majority shipped abroad. Wow. Wow. Yep. That's what helped them stay open, though. Yeah. Was that money. So as you can imagine, it became common practice for loved ones to watch over the deceased in order to protect them from body snatchers. Right. Gosh. It's like stakeouts, essentially. Yeah. So this practice was particularly common in Europe, where other interventions were designed, such as iron coffins, coffin torpedoes. What? Grave alarms and the famous mort safe, which is an iron bar structure built around a coffin. Think of it kind of like a shark cage around a coffin. Okay. Tell me more about the torpedoes. (laughs) I will further down. Okay. <laughs> so in Scotland, for example, mort houses were created. And a mort house was a circular building built in graveyards that would store coffins until the bodies inside were no longer viable candidates for dissection. That's clever. Yeah. So basically they just shove you in a tower until you're rotten enough where no one's going to want to put a knife in you. I wonder if they would like manipulate the environment too to kind of... Speed up the process. Maybe. I don't know. Make you more melty. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) 
Another practice was to pay someone to wash over your loved ones for you. Mm, I wouldn't trust that. Yeah. A practice that cemeteries encourage to prevent their patrons from being disturbed. And an example of this is the new Calton Cemetery Watchtower in Edinburgh, Scotland. The tower opened in the 1820s at the height of the body snatching epidemic. And this three-story tower was constructed to bring a sense of security to the families of the recently deceased. But it's unclear how effective a deterrent it actually was, considering guards could very easily be bribed to look the other way. Yeah, that's kind of my inclination too. Like, how do you really know if that person cares enough to watch over your loved ones if they aren't their loved ones, you know? Yeah. Or aren't religious enough to really like be a crusader to protect those people. Yeah. And the South Metropolitan Cemetery at West Norwood in London decided to construct high walls and railings to deter body snatchers in 1837. And as body snatching continued to plague the people of Europe, the Anatomy Act was passed in 1832 in the United Kingdom, making the act of body snatching a criminal offense. It allowed medical schools to dissect cadavers of executed criminals, unclaimed bodies from prisons and workhouses, and those that were voluntarily donated. That being said, this doesn't mean that body snatching stopped. Well, of course not. In fact... Wardson Cemetery in Sheffield became the site of a riot on June 3rd, 1862, when the citizens of Sheffield accused Reverend John Livesey and his sexton Isaac Howard of selling corpses to the local medical school instead of burying them. And even though this thankfully wasn't the case, it was a little bit worse than that because they were actually burying people on top of one another in semi-mass graves in order to save space. Wow. Yeah. So great. Cool. So like, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this. <laughs> Which is not as bad, but it's also better. Kind of <laughs> better. It's better. I mean, they're still going to heaven, right? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Stop complaining. All right. Now we're going to travel across the pond to America. Where it's worse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I guessed it. You did. So in America, we face similar issues of our own, especially as medical schools started to flourish following the Civil War. Great. And the act of grave robbing even started a riot on April 16th of 1788 in New York City and saw the death of as many as 20 people in what was dubbed the New York Doctors' Riot. Did those bodies get snatched? <laughs> I don't know. Do you <laughs> I don't like, know. Stop snatching bodies and they're like, step, step. Oh, well, these are mine now. Yeah. I mean, they can't say no. So at that time, there was only one medical school in New York, which was Columbia College. But those looking to practice medicine could attend private lessons at New York Hospital under the tutelage of a Mr. Or I'm sorry, a doctor, Richard Bailey. Bailey was a Connecticut-born doctor who studied with the famous Scottish surgeon John Hunter in London. Ooh. It's a fancy bitch. Obviously. So anatomical dissections were a major component of his classes, a practice that many early New Yorkers viewed as offensive and sacrilegious. Thus, his medical students took to robbing graves to gather bodies for dissection. <laughs> with the bulk of their cadavers coming from, you guessed it, the potter's field where the poor were buried, and the local cemetery known as Negro's Burial Ground, where, Great. yep, yep, the city's black population was buried. It's a twofer. Are you black and probably poor because you're black? We're going to take your bodies. And even though petitions were submitted Great. by the black populace of the city asking for the practice to stop, the powers that be were willing to turn a blind eye on the practice as long as it just affected the poor and the black. Yep. Just don't touch my, my children or my parents. Yep. This practice went on for two months until February 21st, 1788, when the advertiser newspaper published a story about the snatching of a white woman's remains from Trinity Churchyard. And since it was a white woman, now it was personal. Oh, yeah. Um, people care now. Yep. Yep. And accounts differ on how the riot officially started. But what's known is that a mob of men stormed the hospital's anatomy room, forcibly removed the corpses, and burned them in the streets. Oh, better. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, you wanted to protect the integrity of a body. Um, Let it on fire. Snatch it from a body snatcher and set it on fire in the streets. I'm sure you're going to clean it up and bury it too. Yep. Good plan, guys. Good plan. And while most of the doctors and medical students had fled upon the arrival of the mob, a few had stayed behind in a vain effort to prevent the destruction of the cadavers and would have found themselves set ablaze as well if Mayor James Duane and the sheriff hadn't arrived on the scene to escort the medical professionals to the jail for their own protection. Wow. It gets better. So the next morning saw the mob scouring the city for doctors, medical students, and bodies. Great. Let's just kill all of the healthcare staff. That'll be super helpful for everybody. Yep. They descended on the Columbia Medical School, and even Alexander Hamilton, who was an alumni of the institution, couldn't persuade them to stop their raid. Wow. Hear that, Lynn Manuel? <laughs> I know. They searched the anatomical theater, museum, chapel, library, and even the dormitories in search of bodies and body parts, and they even searched several doctors' homes before heading towards the jail. Wow. Okay, challenge. If Lin-Manuel Miranda ever gets the end of this, try making a Hamilton rap about Hamilton trying to prevent protesters from like, going through doctors' homes to snatch body parts. That'd be hysterical. <laughs> Hamilton 2, body snatching. So the crowd, which had grown to an estimated 5,000 people, attacked the jail armed with rocks, bricks, and timber from the nearby gallows, demanding blood. Great. Ironic using the gallows. Right? I loved that part. I, I was like, Poetry. yeah. After fighting ensued between the mob and the local militiamen who had been called in to assist, an estimated 20 people were dead. So following the riot, people regularly patrolled the cemeteries in armed groups known as dead guardmen. Cool to protect their recently deceased loved ones. None of the physicians were convicted of any crimes as they noted that they had never robbed any cemetery, quote, in the city, which was the key to their defense as the poor and black of the population were always buried outside the city limits. Of course. And they weren't the ones that did it. It was their students. Mm -hmm. It was them. Other anatomy riots took place around the country with medical historian Michael Sapple noting that at least 17 took place between 1765 and 1854 in cities such as New Haven, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Philadelphia. In the year after the doctor's riots, anatomy acts known as bone bills were passed to legislate the supply of cadavers. So basically, finally putting regulations on it. Yes. So in New York... They passed, and this is the longest name of bill ever, quote, an act to prevent the odious practice of digging up and removing for the purpose of dissection dead bodies interred in cemeteries or burial places, end quote. Even with this law in place, with the punishment if caught, meaning you'd be put to death and dissected yourself, it didn't stop the practice of grave robbing. Of course not. It just encouraged would-be body snatchers to be a bit more discreet. Yep. And a perfect example of this would be the mass body snatching of 39 Dakota warriors who were publicly hung following the Dakota War of 1862. Great. After they were cut down, a group of doctors stole the remains from the Riverside graves and each took one or more for themselves to dissect. Yet again, white people hurting indigenous people. Yeah. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. God damn it. And tales of grave robbers littered the local papers across the country, with at least 12 cases reported in 1878 alone, including the body of the late Ohio Congressman John Scott Harrison, who was the son of William Henry Harrison, the ninth president of the United States. Ooh, they snatched his body? They snatched his son's body. Another famous case was the body snatching of Alexander T. Stewart on November 7, 1878, from the St. Mark's Church in the Bowery in New York City. Why is it famous? Because to this day, Stewart remains the seventh richest American of all time, and I plan to cover his bizarre case in more detail in a later episode. Wow. Because it is bananas. I'm excited for that. 
and families were determined to protect their loved ones and began by placing large stones on lids of their coffins to prevent their desecration. But other methods were quickly developed. Just like in Europe, mort safes, the metal cages, became popular amongst those who could afford them. And American inventors quickly got to work devising ways to thwart would-be grave robbers. A great example of this would be a design by Philip K. Clover of Columbus, Ohio, who patented the coffin torpedo in 1878. Torpedoes! The premise was simple. The instrument acted like a small shotgun attached to the coffin lid to prevent resurrectionists from gaining access to the corpse. If anyone attempted to remove the body, the torpedo would release a lethal blast of lead balls when the lid was pried open. So it it was essentially a bomb. Pretty much. Like a booby trap. A landmine. Yeah. It was a landmine. Wow. Mm-hmm. And thus kind of destroying the body in the process, too. Yeah. But, you know, they're not being dissected. Right. Don't go into heaven. Another Ohioan patented his own version of the grave torpedo on December 20th, 1881. Circleville probate judge Thomas N. Howell's gadget was buried above the coffin and wired to it. It acted like a landmine that would detonate when the thieves activated the troop wires. Crazy. And in an advertisement for Howell's Grave Torpedo, it read, quote, Sleep well, sweet angel. Let no fears of ghouls disturb thy rest. For above thy shrouded form lies a torpedo, ready to make mincemeat of anyone who attempts to convey you to the pickling vat. End quote. <laughs> Damn. I want that on a t-shirt. I know. Can we put that on a t-shirt without getting sued? I don't know, but I really want that on a shirt. I want to find that advertisement and put it on a t-shirt because it is incredible. Amazing. Wow. (laughs) Sleep well because there's a torpedo above your head. It's fine. It's going to kill all your enemies. And destroy your body, but at least you won't be pickled. Shh. It's okay, sweet angel. Yeah. You're already an angel. It's okay. And on January 17th, 1881, the coffin torpedo left a lasting impression on three grave robbers in a Mount Vernon, Ohio cemetery. One man by the name of Dipper was killed by the blast while the explosion broke off the leg of another. The third, who was keeping watch, was left unscathed and assisted in getting the wounded man onto a sleigh so he could get him treatment. Score one for the coffin torpedo. (laughs) Damn. I'm sorry, but how terrifying would it be to see someone get blown up by a great like a coffin torpedo oh my god that'd be so scary all those little lead balls my god nope like do they just explode like how does it work i don't want to know but i want to (laughs) know yeah so other means that the mortuary industry devised to protect the interred included using sealed shipping crates as makeshift vaults hidden locking mechanisms on casket lids, and cast iron coffins. And even with the creation of these crazy body-snatching preventions, it's unclear how prolific their commercial success actually was. Yeah. In fact, the most effective means of body-snatching prevention was just time. All one had to do was watch over a grave for a couple of days or weeks, pending, to ensure the body could begin to decay, reducing its viability as a cadaver for dissection. That makes sense. But it could still be a skeleton. That's true. So that is the super morbid and fascinating history of body snatching. Wow. Gross. I will say that the practice continued through the late 19th century. Mm -hmm. And there are some reported cases of it still taking place today. But um, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's not obviously not as prolific as it was during the time of um, the 17th and 18th centuries. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Wow. So even though I'm being cremated, it'd be kind of funny if I could have been buried with a coffin torpedo above my head. You still could. They don't need to know that you're just bury your urn. I'm going to be a tree. I am too. You are? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you pick what, what kind of tree you're going to be? A weeping willow. Oh, nice. What kind of tree I, are you going to be? 
I wanted my loved ones to decide, but it has to be one that flowers. So could it be like a maple? Like, a, like a sugar maple? Mm-hmm. Like an name. orange tree maybe too, because they flower. Yeah. Sugar like, maples are pretty. Did you decide like which forest you're going to hunt with your your friends? There's There's like a set amount of like already made gray foresty things. I haven't picked one yet. I was going to leave that up to them too. Cause I was going to have them pick whatever part of the country they would want to visit the most. That makes sense. So if it was, cause there's, there's one, there's one here in like Moundsview or something, I think. Moundsview. Right. <laughs> sorry, people in Mountain View. LOL. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, but there's there's one in like Colorado. There's a couple in like some mountainy areas on the East Coast and on the West Coast. So I thought, you know, you can bury me somewhere that you'd wanna potentially visit. Yeah. So you could see me if you wanted. Like there's no no pressure. It's just a tree. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But there's no upkeep. This is true. If the tree dies, it dies. How it works. So there's no grave cleaning involved. But wouldn't, okay, so I've also heard that fruit from a tree that has a body underneath it is sweeter. Hmm. Would it technically be cannibalism? I, I mean, I wouldn't want to eat it. It that's might just be me. cannibalism. I don't think I could ever eat it too. Like, that's just, it's morally ishy. Yeah, I would never eat a Maddie apple. No, that's cool. Lindsay lemon. I mean, I couldn't eat myself because I'd be dead. Yeah, right. If I could, I wouldn't. <laughs> we'll just say that. There you go. That just reminds me of, um, do you remember in Fried Green Tomatoes when the little boy loses his arm and they yeah. have a funeral for his arm because they bury it? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It just reminds me of that. I can't wait to haunt a forest, though. So cool. I'm spookify it. It'd be cool if there were a bunch of other ghosts there, too, so you would have to be in this, like... We'll just hang out. And then, like, anybody who chooses to be a tree is already kind of, like, hippy-dippy, you know? It'd be, like, an ethereal uh, commune, basically. Mm-hmm. be cool. I like it. And then if people, like, Zach Bagans, the Zach Bagans type come, you can, like, shake your leaves. <laughs> And then you can steal his stupid glasses. Can you be like um, a crab apple? Well, the trees in the Wizard of Oz that like other apples. Yeah, yeah. You could be like a whomping willow. Just there you go. Beat the shit out of people that come in and are like, "Hey, show me your ghost." <laughs> and they just start like throwing acorns at you or something stupid. Ooh, motherfucker! <laughs> Take this tree. <laughs> I wonder how they do that. We should check one out one time. See if they have like little plaques or something that kind of like marks. Markers, yeah. Yeah, interesting to see. Yeah, that'd be cool to know how they do that. If they have like GPS markers on the trees. That'd be cool. So this week's podcast plug is the Always Time for True Crime podcast by our friend Julia. Hi, Julia. Good morning, Julia. Hello. How's, How's your mother? Good morning, Julia. It's me, Lindsay. <laughs> Just talking about your podcast. It's so nice, you know. So her podcast covers murders, serial killers, and missing persons. Mm-hmm. She does an amazing job with her research. She is super funny. I highly encourage people to check out her podcast, which we will have a link to in the show notes. It's a good time. Awesome. I promise it's a good time. And this week's question comes from Christine and Jen of the Nopeville podcast. And they're curious to know, who is your podcast idol? You go first. <laughs> Aaron Mankey. That was easy. He's just like, he's done so much in such a small amount of time. And he's done it at his pace. And he's done it on his terms. And he's still so humble and so kind. Um I just think that that's really impressive. Like he, he built it pretty much himself. So, and he was very um, mindful of who he was choosing for like his researchers and music and all that stuff. So yeah, I think Aaron Mankey, I think he's done a great job 
if anyone were to follow his footsteps and be as ambitious as he is, I think he'd be a good person to look to for that. And like, he's the type of person that will tell you exactly what he did too. Yeah. Be like, oh yeah, good luck. This is what I did verbatim. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. He's, since we, we got the pleasure of meeting him mm-hmm. back in 2017 and then he came back in 2019. Mm-hmm. It was only a year. Yeah. He is a very humble and personable human being. Mm-hmm. So. What about you? Well, since you picked Aaron. You made me go first. So I, I did make you go first. So you won. <laughs> but another one that um, I look up to a lot is Phoebe Judge from Criminal. Oh, yes. Yep. For a couple different reasons. One, her voice, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I just, the cases she covers and the way she speaks with the people that she talks to for the cases that she mm-hmm. covers, I think she does an excellent job. And I really enjoy her other podcast, This Is Love. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't listened to it, it is lovely. It is. I know I have to, I've listened to it. So every time I listen to an episode of it, I walk away feeling like my faith in humanity has been restored a little bit. She's an uh, incredible journalist. She is. Foremost. She is. She knows how to, how to spin a story. She does. And I think one of my favorite well, thank you for the question. That was awesome. Yeah. So what's something something good you'd like to talk about this week? Um, we can do a puppy progress report. So I mentioned uh, my boyfriend's puppy, Chief. Uh, he is, he's nine weeks old this week. So it's still just a little too early to really potty train. We're, we're doing our best to like let him out when we can, but his body really isn't physically capable. Um, of holding anything yet. Um, but one thing we noticed is if he doesn't alert us fast enough, he does try to go into the crate where the puppy pad is. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Like he was actively seeking that spot. And, um, yesterday I noticed twice that he looked at his leash. And so the second he sniffed his leash, I let him out and he peed. And, um, the third time he alerted us, he scratched the door. That's awesome. I know. He's so smart and he's only nine weeks old. So remind us what breed of dog he is. He's a German short hair pointer. He is also fucking adorable. He has the biggest ears that he has to grow into. And I hope he never really does because they're so floppy and floopy and cute. Um, I'll ask him if we can share a picture sometime. Yeah, I was going to ask if it's possible to share a picture of him on our social. Yeah. Yeah. He's very cute and. Uh, I was so proud of him because like you can tell that he doesn't, he knows that it's bad to pee in the house. Mm-hmm. The, there was one, one time where it was like pretty deliberate on his end. <laughs> and so I put his nose in it the way you're supposed to. Yeah. Like right when he does it, like, nope. And then I didn't do that again. And after I did that was when he sniffed his leash twice and scratched the door. That's good. So, um, I hate that though. I hate that negative reinforcement. It's really, yeah. Makes me feel like a monster. So it, like just putting his nose in his pee, I was like, <laughs> I know. I don't like that I'm either. So hopefully I never have to do that again. I wouldn't, I don't want to, but yeah. What's yours? What's your good news this week? I wanted to use my something good this week to shout out all of the educators out there. Yeah. Because kids started school this week and so far it's been going really well. Awesome. So my youngest is going full-time in person to first grade. And my oldest is going part-time to school for middle school, her first year of middle school. And the day she's not physically at the school, she's doing distance learning. Mm-hmm. And um, Sounds hard to plan. Yeah. And I, I appreciate all the hard work that these teachers are having to do to ensure that they're there and available for not only the kids that they're teaching in person, but also the kids that are learning remotely. Because you can choose, you can choose to not have them go, right? Yeah. You could choose to have them do distance learning. Okay. But I, my kids need that structure. Yeah. And and they need that socialization too. Yeah. I wanted to give it a shot and so far so good. Granted, it's only been four days, so it's hard to gauge properly, but I mean. How much are they loving seeing like kids their age again though? 
they're really lucky to be able to see their friends. Like Wednesday was the first day since mid-March that Thomas and I have been home by ourselves. Yeah. How weird was it? It was very quiet. <laughs> I got a lot done that day. And on Friday, I got a lot done. Yeah. So it's just weird, but mm-hmm. in a good way. Yeah. So, and I do also want to, um, I put out a call on Twitter today, which is Sunday when we're recording, um, asking for spooky stories that we can include in our October issues. And by issues, I mean episodes, <laughs> because I kind of forgot that we're doing a podcast. That's um, fine. We come from a journalism. Yeah. Home. You can just use it. So send us your paranormal stories, um, spooky personal experiences, and you can either DM us on Twitter or you can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Do we get any emails of gifts yet? No. Oh, man. I know. I'm so upset. Someday. 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 In like three months, we'll get one. Yeah. From somebody who's just starting to listen. I'll be like, oh, remember when? <laughs> you'll be like ew gross why did they do this <laughs> <laughs> who is this weirdo and why did they send me a just a single gif in an email <laughs> rando <laughs> spooky stories help us out we want to we want to be freaked out too yeah and i think it'd be really fun to include spooky stories in our episodes absolutely had one come through so far which i am pumped about that's very exciting cool yeah, you can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com and follow us on social media at yieldcrimepod on Twitter and yieldcrimepodcast on Instagram. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. As we said, we're looking for spooky stories for the month of October and to sweeten the deal, the people who send us their stories will send you something fun as a thank you. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we hope you will consider giving us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or wherever you listen to us. And if you are like, man, I would really like to see some more behind-the-scenes content and watch (laughs) funny episodes and get some exclusive merch, you should become one of our patrons. You can do it for as low as $5 a month, and that will get you... Uh, access to bonus content, bonus episodes, and you will still be able to get the patron-only merchandise that we will have available. We're super excited about. Yeah, I am pumped. If you want to rock our other merch, if you want to purchase mugs, tote bags, stickers, pins, shirts, onesies for your friend's baby, <laughs> you can look at our merch. Not your baby. It has to be your friend's baby. It has to be your friend's baby. Because you gotta, be selfish. Just for the love, man. Um, <laughs> it's the perfect Christmas gift. Oh, you're right. It's coming up. Uh, check out our tea public. There's sales going on all the time. In fact, I can probably tell you when the next sale is going to be. So give me one second. I can tell you when the next sale is going to be. <laughs> There's actually going to be a sale the week that this episode comes out. Starting oh. from the 16th to the 18th. That's awesome. So get on it, fam. There's going to be 35% off everything in the store. It's awesome. Great time to pick up some merch. For Christmas. For Christmas. Or even just because September right now. Get it in time for October. There you go. Rock it for Halloween. Yep. Spooky Halloween. Don't (laughs) don't sue us. (laughs) And you can find links to... Everything that we just mentioned in our show notes, as well as a link to our Buy Me a Coffee, which is a one-time donation that you can give to us in any amount, starting at $3, which is less than a cup of coffee, actually, at any real chain of coffee shops. Right. So it's a pretty sweet deal. It's pretty great. We don't want to brag about it, but it's pretty great. Yeah. And I can say a special thank you to people who have bought us coffees. Yay. So our friend over at A Nightmare Podcast. Aw, thanks. Our friends Paul and Ryan from the Cold Colors Comedy Podcast. Yay! Thanks. Friends Kim and Lark from Kudzu Killers Podcast. Oh, nice. Thank you. Our friend Emily at the Student Verdict Podcast. 
Thank you. And our friends at a teacher in a crime scene tech podcast. Nice. Thank you very much. And our lastly, our friends at the Crime and Roses podcast. Thanks, guys. So thank you so much to everybody who is supporting our little show. We really, truly appreciate your support. Mm -hmm. Um, It means a lot to us. It does. Actually, on that note, I do want to say one more thing. I know I keep adding things to our closing. So it's a very Midwestern closing. It's the longest Midwestern goodbye (laughs) in ye old crime history. But I don't think it'll be for now. For now, in the under 20 episodes. Right. It's the longest. Yes. But I did want to share I'm going to share a sneak peek of some of the things that we save from you guys. This is an old one. This is back from July. But one of our Twitter followers said, I have to be at work to receive deliveries, but we're not open to the public. So I'm currently binging Yield Crime podcast, and I'm only three episodes in, and I already feel like I'm best friends with the hosts. That's so nice. So that was one that we got that really made me feel good. Yeah. This is a recent one from September 9th. So it's from Witch Bitch Tiff on Twitter. She says, so I've been obsessively listening to the podcast to and from both jobs every day. And I love it. Thanks for doing what you do. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to us. Yeah. I'm just doing it for us. Yeah. I'm glad we're able to keep you company in the car. Absolutely. And stuff like that, that really makes the hard work worth it. Yeah, it makes all the work that we put into this worth it. Even if those two were literally the only two people that ever listened to our podcast, which we know isn't the case, but right. even if it was, like hearing stuff like that really, truly um, makes us happy that you guys listen and you take the time to let us know that you appreciate what we're doing. Yeah. So thank you to everyone who has ever left us a review, who has ever engaged with us on Twitter or on instagram who has ever shot us an email or yeah you know told a friend to listen to us that kind of stuff we really appreciate it on that note as always i'm Lindsay, and i'm